Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dear friends, uh, dear listeners, uh, nice to have you back on here. It's the 25th um, lesson in our series on the ulum al-Qur'an, the sciences of the Qur'an. Let us start with some recitation of the Qur'an. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim فذكر فما أنت بنعمة ربك بكاهن ولا مجنون أم يقولون شاعر نتربص به ريب المنون قل تربصوا فإني معكم من المتربصين أم تأمرهم أحلامهم بهذا أم هم قوم طاغون أم يقولون تقوله بل لا يؤمنون فليأتوا بحديث مثله إن كانوا صادقين صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد um, Yesterday we were talking about the discussion the discussion was about uh, the ways the quran is a miracle and the way the quran is so believe and fussy and so eloquent and so on and in that regard we have a number of uh, discussions the first one or this first section is all about the arabic aspect of it which as i said would be appreciated by those who understand arabic so it was about the manner and the style of the quran so we discussed that yesterday gave you a number of examples about it Number two, the second point was that when you look at the intention and the meaning that it conveys along with the wording that's used, they're absolutely balanced, right? There's no verbosity, there's no uh, superficial wording that's used and it doesn't go on. The third point in this regard is that the Quran masters the balance of being able to speak to an absolutely varied crowd in a way that it's relevant to all of them and all of them find something beneficial in it um, and it's not seen as only for a certain type of age or a certain type of crowd or a certain type of group of people. When you see there are, if you, if you just look at the speakers on the scene, uh, those who uh, generally, you know, we listen to people listen to whether that be in English, whether that be in Urdu or in Arabic or whatever. You'll see that there's some of them. They're known to be highly intellectual, and their discussion needs a lot of concentration. And there'll be a good segment of the community who will not bother to listen to them because they think they're too intellectual, they're too complicated, they're too difficult, they're too um, you know, subtle for them. They just want a fiery speech, some people. And then there's others who have a very emotive speech. And they're talking about some very simple things, but the whole purpose of that is to really make it very emotional and very um, very moving and so on. But there's no, that, that, you know, you're not going to learn, it's not much, it's not very academic and so on. And there's going to be those people like, hey, that's, we don't want to listen to that. Then you've got some who are trying to strike that balance right in between who are trying to have enough profundity in it but at the same time also not it doesn't want to lose the crowd likewise you see that in books as well there's some books which are so academic and they use the academies kind of language and you know um, it, it just loses a lot of people and yet there's others who make it so simple that it's also 
so simplistic that people don't want to read it. So you're going to have those two kind of extremes. And then there's some people who try to bring it together. So obviously, if you're going to speak to a group of intellectuals and academics, you're going to try to discuss with them in a way that, uh, you know, provides nuances and things like that. Otherwise, they're not going to they're not going to want to listen. Likewise, if you're just talking to just a general mass of people, then you're not going to try to I mean, most people are not going to try to bring up very complicated ideas in there, right, in, in some kind of high level way, because you're probably going to lose people. Then, for example, if you're speaking to children, you're obviously not going to speak to children like the way you do to adults. And of course, you're not going to speak to adults the way you speak to children. There's a different way to speak to different people. And anybody who masters that way of speaking to different people, they get very effective. And we generally have to speak to different types of people. We're not always speaking to the same crowd of people. That's why we've seen that there's some people who've just been teaching all their life in classrooms, in a university setting, in a high-level madrasa setting. When they go to give a bayan, they find it very difficult because they can't dumb it down. They can't connect with the crowd. And there's some people who, you know, um, I've had teachers who were more, you can say, speech-oriented. So when they would come to sit, uh, teach in the crowd, they would just, sorry, when they would, th their main job was to teach the masses, but then they would sometimes be teaching us like a deep book in hadith or fiqh. And the problem was that they would be repeating things because that's what you do in a speech, but you don't actually do that in a class. And it could get a bit boring. So you have this. Now, the thing is that the Quran, mashallah, it's for both. It's for everyone. Not for both, but it's for everyone. And it applies it the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has balanced the words those who are very very intellectual looking for subtleties they're going to they're going to find more than they can even handle in the Quran and those people who are not like them they just want a, just a general mashallah a benefit a general emotion from it a general uh, interaction on their level they will find that on there this is what anybody you know both the intellectuals and just, you know, those people who consider themselves just to be simple people, they can all benefit from the Qur'an as soon as they pick it up and they start reading it. And as long as they can understand it, they can both benefit from it. That's, a, that's exactly what it means by when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرِ We've made the Qur'an, we've facilitated it, we've made it easy for people to take a reminder from. So is there people to take reminders? And it's Allah, the Creator speaking. So He knows who requires what and He's got food for everybody in there. That's why in Arabic It is a place, uh, it is a, a substance, it's a thing that can be of benefit to both the regular laity and of those who consider themselves to be more intellectual or more academic or whatever the case may be. So you see that the very eloquent individuals, you know, who study eloquence, they'll find amazing things in the Quran and then just general people, they'll find amazing things in the Quran as well. Number four, the fourth point right after the first three is Allahu Akbar. This is a really interesting idea. Uh, what the Quran is able to do is it's, you see, human beings, that we have two aspects. Every human being has that. Some people just one dominates the other. We have an emotion and then we have intellect, right? We have ration, our rational faculty and then we have emotion. Simple example is some people here want to get married to somebody because they're emotionally attached, even though they know in their heart that this is wrong. 
but they, they just like, they can't help it. They can't get away, right? So we have an emotional aspect. We have our sentiment, our feeling, our passion, all of that. That's one aspect of it. But then on the other hand, we have our intellectual aspect, you know, our logical aspect, our rational aspect. When people, again, this ties in to some of the previous points, but in order for somebody to write and focus on the rational aspect, the intellectual aspect, they, a lot of the time, most of the time, they would actually lose the emotional aspect of it. And if some people, when they write or they speak, they write on the emotional level, they lose the kind of logical aspect of it because their whole focus becomes the emotional aspect. Now, the Qur'an is able to cater for both of these at the same time. Within one verse, the Qur'an will provide some very profound ideas that you can understand logically and rationally that makes sense to you. But at the same time, it also provides the emotion and the drive, right? And it's, it's amazing. That's what it does. That, that's the idea of this. You just can't find this perfectly balanced like that in everything that the Qur'an discusses, where it's constantly, there's a preaching going on, there's advising going on, there's counseling going on, but Allah is also talking about the natural world. So within the discussion of the natural world, within, within a historical account, right, within something else, there, there's going to be uh, some preaching, there's going to be some uh, persuasion, there's going to be some dissuasion, there's going to be some kind of emotional aspect in there, in everything. That's why you see people crying over all verses, all types of verses, because it's included in all of that. So that's, um, that's what you find, you know, that's what you find that balance. It's like you've got a branch, and on that branch you've got leaves, you've got thorns, and you've got flowers. So... Just the way it, that is like Allah has created His creation so comprehensively that you've got a single branch on you which you have leaves which are useful for certain things. You've got thorns which are useful, harmful, whatever. And then you've got the flowers on there at the same time. Right? Uh, likewise, how perfectly the human body is infused with a spirit, with the spirit and it stays alive like that. The Qur'an is like that. It's got the wording and it's got a spirit in there which is infused in there that just continues to benefit people, mashallah. The philosophers are going to find something in there. The regular people are going to find something in there. right? It's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who could create that anyway because He's the one who has the complete understanding. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, تَقْشَعِرُّ مِنْهُ جُلُودُ الَّذِينَ يَخْشَوْنَ رَبَّهُمْ ثُمَّ تَلِينُ جُلُودُهُمْ وَقُلُوبُهُمْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Those who fear Allah, their skins, their flesh trembles. Right? And then after that, it softens, their skin softens, and their hearts also softened, uh, soften for the remembrance of Allah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلٌ فَصْلٌ وَمَا هُوَ بِالْهَزْلِ This is the, the clear differentiating, distinguishing statement or speech, right? And it is not a joke. The Qur'an is not a joke. Um, the fifth one is made up of a few different things. And I'll give you a few examples here. And inshallah, you'll be able to appreciate this. Right? Again, this is related to that first aspect of the beauty of the Arabic and the eloquence in there. So the mu'jiza is about the Arabic here, right? About the way the, the words are formed, chosen, 
composed together and laid out. There is none of the words in the Quran are weird words, are complicated words that are difficult on the mouth to be able to said uh, to be to be said. And like, why did he use this word here? Clearly, there are words in the Quran that are not going to be easy for everybody to say, and you have to kind of get used to them. Yes, but um, the Quran does not incorporate, and I'll give you several examples of that. So both from a word perspective, it doesn't have any major tongue twisters, right? Despite the fact that it's talking about so many deep things and sometimes you have to invoke certain words like that, but it doesn't have those kind of tongue twisters of that. Most of the words, pretty much all the words in the Quran are of the same kind of style. They just flow with one another, right? They just flow with one another. You know, I just want to give you a few examples, okay? I'll just take a few surahs. I'll just read a few of those verses and I'll give you an idea, right? And just hear what you think about these, what you think about these. So if we start off with, um, just think of your emotion when you're, when you're hearing this, just the sound, even if you don't understand it, right? Um, even better if you don't understand it, you'll see the difference. And if you can understand it, actually, that would be better. Just hear the sound, like I described yesterday, the stop starts, the 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 the, the hunnas, the the stretches, the soft sounds, the hard sounds, the abrupt sounds, the yeah. What Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. في رق منشور والبيت المعمور والسقف المرفوع والبحر المسجور إن عذاب ربك لواقع ما له من دافع يوم تمور السماء مورا وتسير الجبال سيرا. Now, if you could understand that, you know, you could you could carry that on. And, okay, the second surah, the beginning of the second surah, Surah Al-Najm, right? بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والنجم إذا هوى ما ضل صاحبكم وما غوى وما ينطق عن الهوى إن هو إلا وحي يوحى علمه شديد القوى ذو مرة فاستوى وهو بالأفق الأعلى ثم دنا فتدلى فكان قاب قوسين أو أدنى فأوحى إلى عبده ما أوحى and it carries on like that. Totally different from the previous surah and its style. Here it's all ah, ah, ah. There it was watur, wakitabim, mastur, right? Now let's take the third surah, Surah Al Qamar. Right? This is all in the 27th juz. Because I was reading this today, I was like, wow, every single one of them is so starkly different. Because they all have different objectives, uh, a different theme, different idea, different meanings. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اقتربت الساعة وانشق القمر وإن يروا آية يعرضوا ويقولوا سحر مستمر وكذبوا واتبعوا أهواءهم وكل أمر مستقر ولقد جاءهم من الأنباء ما فيه مزدجر حكمة بالغة فما تغني النذر فَتَوَلَّ عَنْهُمْ يَوْمَ يَدْعُ الدَّاعِ إِلَى شَيْءٍ نُكُرٍ Much slower, right? I mean, I would love to have, if we had the time to have told you to take a piece of paper and then read either, each of these out and told you to write your feelings out. In fact, you can do that. You can write your feelings out, okay? This one I find much slower, a bit more solemn, 
right? Uh, talking about something a lot more serious because it's talking about the day of judgment has come close, the final moment has come close, the moon has, split, has been split, and, and, and so on. Then he talks about the disbelievers. Now the next one, you'll know this one. But again, you'll find it totally different from the others. Right? Also, the previous one had longer verses than the, the, the first two. Okay, look at this one now. This is Surah Ar-Rahman. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ar-Rahman. علم القرآن خلق الإنسان علمه البيان الشمس والقمر بحسبان والنجم والشجر يسجدان والسماء رفعها ووضع الميزان ألا تطغوا في الميزان وأقيموا الوزن بالقسط ولا تخسروا الميزان Totally different from the first three different in tune, different in lyric, you know, lyrical quality, it's musical quality, it's totally different. And I'm just telling you to listen to the sound. If you know the meaning, you know, you can appreciate it more, right? Now let's move on to the next surah, Surah Al-Waqi'ah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ لَيْسَ لِوَقَعَتِهَا كَاثِبَةِ خَافِضَةُ الرَّافِعَةِ إذا رجت الأرض رجا وبست الجبال بسا فكانت هباء منبثا وكنتم أزواجا ثلاثة فأصحاب الميمنة ما أصحاب الميمنة وأصحاب المشأمة ما أصحاب المشأمة والسابقون السابقون Totally different, right? Because each one of them is discussing a different theme. Now, this is the amazing part. This is, this is, this is amazing that no word in there is weird or strange or whatever. And let me give you some examples of this before we move on to the second part of how the Quran is a mu'jizah which is more related to its meaning. Now look at this now, right? Inshallah you will find this beneficial. Firstly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he chooses the word, when he chooses, when he uses the words in the Quran, they're the most perfect word for that point. As I said to you yesterday, you know, take a, a verse, a few verses of the Quran, right? 20 words, right? Uh, and then see if you can replace any of those words with the, with any other Arabic word and compare it to any other Arabic any other Arabic piece. The the point here is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He uses very specific words. So, for example, for death, the Arabs in Jahiliyyah before uh, the Quran was revealed had many many words for death. I mean, death is. You know, even in English, we've got many, many words for death. You know, both slang words, colloquial words, even proper words. You know, we've got many, many words. So in Arabic, these are the words that they had. Himyagh, Nate. They sound really weird. I mean, you know, I don't think many of you who even probably read Arabic would have come across these. Himyagh. You'll find them in poetry and things. Nate. Rahr. Manun. Manun is used. Manun is used. It's, in the, it's used in the Quran as well, I think. Raib al-Manun, right? It's used in the Quran, that word. Shu'ub, right? Fawd, Hamam, Sam. And Sam is used in Hadith because the, the Jews used to use it for the Prophet wasallam, right? Uh, they say, As-Samu alaykum, death be upon you, 
right? So that word is uh, is not used in the Quran. Miqdar, Qatim, Jibaz, Halak, or Hilak. I'm not sure which one that is. Qadiya, right? That I think that the Quran uses that. Talatil, Talatila, Aul, Dham, Kaft, Judar, and Hazra. I think that's Hazra. No, Khaz, Khazra. I think. I think that's a Khazra. Khazra. It's not written carefully here. Then you have another one called Hatf. Hatf. Uh, they use the word Hatf. I've, I've used. I've seen that word. Khalij. Now, how many words is that? That's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year, uh, words. S one or two of them may have been used in the Quran as well. Allah introduces a brand new word. Totally new word. Even though you've got 20, 21 words here for death, Allah introduces a new word. And most of the time it's used. Does anybody know what that word is that's used in the Quran for death? Aside from moat, right? Moat is another word which I didn't mention here because that's uh, that 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 is uh, yeah moat. So it's twenty-two words here, right? Aside from moat, which other words? There's another very important word that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala introduces. It's the concept of tawafi. When the angels take their life away, right? So the concept it's a much more richer concept. When you talk about tawafi, right? So tawafi comes from the concept of wafa in Arabic, which means to fully realize something, fully achieve something, fully acquire something, to fulfill something, to do something to its fullest. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using the word tawafa here is that, you see, it introduces two ideas by this because the wording used in the Quran is to build a civilization. It's to build a framework. It's to build an ideology. Right? It's to get people thinking of the correct way for the world. So the word tawaffi refers to fully achieving something, which means that when a person dies, their wafat has taken place, which means they have fully achieved what their time in this world was. And they fully acquired it, and now their time has ended. So Allah is using that word and showing and demonstrating by that that nobody dies before their time. They're, they die after they fully acquired what was theirs in this world. And number two, another idea that comes from it is that the people, they did not believe in the ba'ath. They did not believe in the resurrection of the hereafter. So it's to show that your time in this world is finished and then you're going to have to deal with your time in the hereafter, whether that be good or bad. So that's just a quick example of that. I'm going to give you a few other examples. Another thing in Arabic is that, you know, we said that the Quran will pick the absolute right words. Right? The Quran will pick the absolute right words for the context, for that particular context. You can't replace it with a better word. Uh, what do you mean by the best word? Best word in terms of meaning and in terms of the way it sounds so that it's conducive and congruent to its uh, uh, surrounding verses. So it doesn't just suddenly sound off. Sometimes you know, you're reading something and suddenly it's a weird word and it just jerks you. Right? But it doesn't do that here. It flows with it. It keeps the rhyme, it keeps the style, and it provides the same meaning. So I'll give you one example, which is in Surah Al-Najm. Right? So uh, you heard Surah Al-Najm, I just read it to you. It's So it's all with those standing alifs at the end. All of them end with that. So now look at this verse here. 
Now, uh, I'm going to read to you from this part. أَفَتُمَارُونَهُ عَلَى مَا يَرَى وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ نَزْلَةً أُخْرَى عِنْدَ سِدْرَةِ الْمُوتَهَا عِنْدَهَا جَنَّةُ الْمَأْوَى إِذْ يَغْشَى السِّدْرَةَ مَا يَغْشَى مَا زَاغَ الْبَصَرُ وَمَا طَغَى لَقَدْ رَآ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتَ وَالْعُزَّى وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى أَلَكُمُ الذَّكَرُ وَلَهُ الْأُنْثَى تِلْكَ إِذَا قِسْمَةٌ ضِيزًا And then it carries on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first talks about these special signs that the Prophet saw in his ascent in uh, the Mi'raj and uh, ascension and so on. And he says, لَقَدْ رَآ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى He saw some of the greatest signs of his Lord. Then he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the Meccans. Now, what they used to do is, they used to say that the angels, they exist, but they're the daughters of Allah. So Allah is saying to them, أَلَكُمُ الذَّكَرُ وَلَهُ الْأُنْثَى You only keep the boys, right? So remember, they used to bury their daughters alive. So he's saying, you reserve for yourself the boys, you bury your daughters alive, and you're saying, that Allah has daughters. What kind of a weird statement is that? That you, something you don't even like for yourself, you give to Allah. This is a very unjust distribution distinction you're making. The word here is diza. Now the thing is that this word diza is a bit of a strange word. It sounds a bit strange. But there's no better word than it. So somebody might say, why use that word? In any other place, this word liza would sound weird. That's what the Arabs say. That's what the Arabic experts say. This word liza, it's a bit of a hard word. Liza, right? I mean, you have to have the dad, right? And then there's a za that follows the dad. So it's not easy. However, in matching the style and the meaning. So liza means unjust. There are other words that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have used here. Ja'ira zalima. He could have said, Tilka idha alakum al-dhakaru wa lahu al-untha. Tilka idha qismatun zalima. Tilka idha qismatun ja'ira. Tilka idha qismatun ghayru a'adila. He would have messed it up. This is the best word while keeping there and also the other thing that I find most beautiful about it. How does Liza sound to you? How does it sound to you? In terms of just its sound, doesn't it sound like crude? Doesn't it sound... And it, that's the meaning of it, that this is such a crude, unjust way of you looking at it. So the the word used, I mean, غير عادلة ظالمة جائرة, you know, that could have been used for unjust. But these are actually provides that kind of repugnance in the word itself. That تلك إذن قسمة ديزا, what a bad distribution that is. What a unjust, what a what a abhorrent unjust distribution that is. Right? I I hope you're with me. I hope I'm not losing you in this. But. When I hear Diza, it just sounds, and when you look at the meaning, it's exactly that's what it is. It carries the meaning with it. It's supposed to provide you that kind of an effect, effect as well, right? Now, a few other examples. Arabic is a very sensitive language, right? It's a very sensitive language. Balance is very important in Arabic. So when we were studying Arabic, right, they would say that while 
according to the rules and regulation, it should actually be like this, right? But for takhfif, right, to remove the concept of thiql, they change it, right? Because Arabs don't like to say weird words, right, or weird constructions. The, the language is supposed to be so smooth and flowing that you're supposed to get rid of that stuff. You're supposed to get rid of that. Now, you could have a word which makes perfect, smooth, lucid sense in one context, but if you use it in a different context, it doesn't. The Quran will only use these words in those contexts where it flows and is smooth. Right? So, Arabs are very sensitive. So they remove the thickle, which means the burden, the, heavy, he, the heaviness of it. The, the, the thickle is the heaviness and the difficulty in reciting it. That's why they remove it. Now you might say that the Dad is a very complicated letter. It is, if you have to learn it afresh. But for Arabs, they learn it from birth and it's quite easy, it's quite natural. They don't have a problem with it. So, in Arabic, now there's some words which you might even know and are familiar with. In Arabic, there's a word called lub. Right? It can mean kernel and it can also mean the, the brain. Right? Intellect. Now, the interesting thing is that nowhere in the Quran has the word lubun mean, been used in a singular format. Right? It has been used but always in the plural format. Why? Because the word lub in the singular format doesn't sound right for eloquent speech. There's other words they can use. But it's fine in the plural. So that's ya ulil albab, ya ulil albab, ya ulil albab. So albab is plural of lub. Lub is never used, but albab is, is always used. It's never used in the singular because, according to the Arab specialist, lub in its singular form, you know, is not perfect in every sequence, in, in every sentence. That's one example. Another word is the word kub. And Raja, not Raja, but Raja and Kub, right? Now, these words, again, they're never used in the singular in the Quran. They're always used in the plural. Akwaba, Akwaba, and Arja'iha, Arja'iha. You'll never see them used in the singular. They're always used in the plural. So the Quran uses them when necessary, but always in the plural because that's fine, but not the singular. Another really interesting one, right, which is, I mean, these ones I'm rushing because we don't have too much time to go into this in detail, but, so Allah says, وَالْمَلَكُ عَلَىٰ أَرْجَائِهَا وَيَحْمِلُ عَرْشَ رَبِّكَ يَوْمَ فَوْقَهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذِينَ ثَمَانِيَةً Then, another word is the word ard. Ard means the ground, earth, right, ard. The ard is the earth, the ground, okay. That's the singular. The plural of Ard, there's two plurals. There's Aradi and there's Aradun. Now, in the previous examples I gave you, they don't sound right in their singular form, but they're completely fine in their plural form. So Allah uses the word Arja, Akwab, and Albab. Never the singular. When it comes to Ard, the singular form is fine. It's accepted, it's nice, it's used, but Aradun is just too complicated. Aradun, it is, it's a bit of a tongue twister. Aradi, it's too much. It's never used in the Quran. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then use then when he wants to talk about, I mean, haven't you, even if you don't understand the Quran, haven't you seen 
that there's always discussion of seven heavens and seven earths in the Quran that are mentioned. How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then use it then to because the earth in many cases in the Quran is used in the singular, right? But in a number of cases it's actually used in the plural as well. So how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala express the plural? Now look at the way he does it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Now Samawat is the plural of Sama'un and that means heaven, skies, heaven. Sab'un means seven. So seven uh, skies, seven heavens. That's mentioned. Right? The plural of sama, sama, uh, samawat is used because it's fine. Right? So then Allah says, so the, this ayah is supposed, is, is supposed to mean the one who created the seven heavens and the seven earths. Seven layers of earth. So how is Allah going to use that? Look at what he says. وَمِنَ الْأَرْضِ مِثْلَهُنْ الَّذِي خَلَقَ سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتٍ وَمِنَ الْأَرْضِ مِثْلَهُنْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the seven heavens and from the earth a similar, a similar amount. So instead of saying seven earths in the plural, he said and from the earth a similar like to the seven heavens. Right? And there could be so many other secrets hidden of why he's used it that way, but it never uses the word sama, uh, sam, um uh, aradun as the plural okay that's another example I've given you and then another word is the word suf that's no good in its singular again that's another example it's no good in its singular right it's only good in its plural so Allah uses the plural wa aswafiha wa wa it means wool suf means wool and aswaf is wools, you know, or whatever. I mean, I'm just making that up, right? Because in English, you don't... Uh, yeah, you see, it's a similar in English. Although in Arabic, you actually have the word, but it's not good to use always. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word plural, aswaf, but never suf. And there's a n- number of other examples. So sometimes there's going to be many, many words for a single idea, but none of those words work. In the sense that none of them, none of those words are appropriate for that context. Either because of their sound or because they don't have the, exactly the right shade of meaning. Although commonly that's the word that's going to be used. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? He uses a whole different idea. So for example, for bricks or stones, you know, to build something, right? The b- building blocks. There's the word kirmid. And tub, but they don't sound good enough, so that is never used in the Quran. Even though there is discussion of having blocks built, you know. So, for example, what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran: "وَقَالَ فِرْعَوْنُ يَا أَيُّهَا الْمَلَأُ مَا عَلِمْتُ لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَهٍ غَيْرِي فَأَوْقِدْ لِيَاهَا مَا نُعَلَ الطِّينِ فَجَعَلْنِي صَرْحًا." Pharaoh says, Pharaoh said, "Oh." Uh, assembly, oh my my people, I don't know of any Lord besides me for yourself. You know, this was after that whole discussion about Musa and the uh, and the uh, the challenge with the magicians and everything. So now Pharaoh is saying, I don't know of any other God, right? And Musa is is challenging him. So what he wants to do now is he wants to reach the heavens. 
So what he wants, he thinks that you can get up there and he can build up to the heavens so that he can see the Lord of Musa salam. So he says to Haman, who is his chief builder, minister, his right-hand man, he says, Fire up for me on the, on the sand. Right, which essentially means you fire it up so that you can build upon it. Allah completely avoids the use of the word brick or anything of that nature just so he can, you know, uh, because uh, there's a few words. There's kub, uh, sorry, there's tub, uh, there's kirmad, and there's ajur. But none of those words that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to use. So that's why he just explained it in a different way and the meaning is completely understood from there. I think that's enough uh, examples. And uh, there's, I, I could go on giving you examples of, for example, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes the sequence to emphasize a certain point. But it will take a very long time. And this is not like a detailed class on Balagha. This is just supposed to be an introduction to the idea of it. Um, you know, just to show you that when it's related to the Quran. So now let's quickly move on to the second aspect of the miracle nature of the Quran. As I said, this first aspect was literally, it was very literal. It was to do with the Arabic, it was to do with the word and the meaning and the way it brings them together and so on, right? How it blends between two antagonistic and contradictory powers, you know, of reason and feeling, persuasive teaching, but with emotive force, you know, that's essentially what all of that was about, okay? So the Quran, it provides its striking clarity, but with profundity, flexibility, inspiration, and radiance at the same time. It's got the complicated ideas, but it's radiant, inspiring at the same time. It's not dry, right? It's not dry legalese, right? Imagine listening to lawyers all day, right? You know, for example, um, we need them, but imagine having to listen to a lecture, you know, of law. It's just complicated. Um, it has perfect combination of concision and detail, right? It manages to blend between two very antagonistic ideas of emotion and of intellect, which we described already. It just has solemnity, power and majesty. Now let us move on to some of the other aspects of the Quran, um, which we, there's many, many other aspects of the Quran, but some of the others that have made, uh, that have, you know, uh, considered a miracle. Number one, simply put, it telling us of unseen realities. Now, when you're talking about unseen realities, they could refer to past realities. People had an idea, but they didn't know the full detail. Present realities and also future realities. Let's just go and give an example of each. Firstly, let's talk about past realities. No, let's start off with future aspects. This was very, very much needed in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Remember, the Muslim Ummah, the Muslim, the, the, the small group of Muslims that had become Muslim at the beginning, they were persecuted. They were under um, a, a, a lot of difficulty and they could not see themselves as becoming dominant because the dominating forces were the Quraysh, the, the, the disbelievers of the Quraysh. So a lot of the future kind of uh, prophecies of the Quran or promises of the Quran are regarding very decisive, very crucial matters, very fateful matters, and is very bold in proclaiming them at a time when nobody would believe that that would happen. So let's give an example of this, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, says at that time when they're downtrodden, Bilal radiallahu anhu is being beaten up and persecuted and so on. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa cannot do things openly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Suratul Qamar verse 44-45, 
أم يقولون نحن جميع متصر سيهزم الجمع ويولون الدبر Do they say that we are going to gather together and then we're going to attack you and we're going to defend ourselves? Talking about disbelievers. سَيُهْزَمُ الْجَمْعُ وَيُوَلُّونَ الدُّبُرُ Their multitude will be defeated, meaning their group will be defeated and they will run away showing their backs. That is said at a time when the Muslims cannot even dream of victory. But Allah says this. And He tells the mushrikeen, this is what they, they probably laughed at that time that what are you talking about? We're the superpower of that little area. But that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Now, Umar radiallahu anhu said, I think this was uh, yeah, before the Battle of Badr, obviously, because they've not won a battle yet. They've had to escape. They're going to Medina Munawwara now. Umar radiallahu anhu said that, when I heard this verse, I said, Ayyu jam'in yuhzam? Who's going to be defeated? Us or them? Like, who's going to be defeated? Ayyu jam'in yughlab or yaglib? Who's going to dominate the others? Who's going to be victorious? Umar then says that eventually when it was the battle of Badr, the day of Badr, I then remembered the Prophet going forth in his armor and he was saying, and this is, these are the words Allah subhanahu, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger was now saying, And Umar says, That's when I recognized the interpretation. That the Prophet ﷺ had been told this by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We were reading in the Quran, we were wondering what that was going to be. And then on the day of, uh, on the battle of Badr, which happened in Ramadan, 70 of the major leaders of the Quraysh were killed, which was a massive defeat on their part. Such a morale booster for the group of Muslims, mashallah. And that was the verse that, and it was said at a time when nobody could believe it. Number two, uh, the Quran said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Dukhan, and you, you probably recite, recite Surah Al-Dukhan every Friday, Thursday night, verses 10 to 16. Allah says, فَارْتَقِبْ يَوْمَ تَأْتِ السَّمَاءُ بِدُخَانٍ مُبِينٍ يَغْشَ النَّاسَ هَذَا عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ رَبَّنَا اكْشِفْ عَنَّا الْعَذَابَ إِنَّا مُؤْمِنُونَ أَنَّا لَهُمُ الذِّكْرَى وَقَدْ جَاءَهُمْ رَسُولٌ مُبِينٌ ثُمَّ تَوَلَّوْا عَنْهُ وَقَالُوا مُعَلَّمٌ مَجْنُونٌ إِنَّا كَاشِفُ الْعَذَابِ قَلِيلًا إِنَّكُمْ عَائِدُونَ يَوْمَ نَبْطِشُ الْبَطْشَةَ الْكُبْرَى إِنَّا مُتَقِمُونَ What's happening here is that when the Prophet ﷺ, Abdullah ibn Masood mentions this, that when in a hadith, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw that they weren't listening to him and everything, he made a dua, right? This was one of the few times he made a dua against him. He said, Allahumma sab'un ka sab'i Yusuf. Allah, give them the seven years of drought, right? Like uh, the people of Yusuf ﷺ had to go through. So they were caught up in a drought, right? Now this was something the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, he made a dua and then that happened. And it basically just devastated everything. They started having to eat dead carrion, right? They literally had to start eating flesh and dead meat, right? Because of their hunger. And because of that state of extreme hunger and desperation and malnutrition, they would look up at the heaven and they, in their eyes, they could see a smoke, right? That's what happens. This is a phenomenon. This is what happens. I've, I've discussed this last year, right? In, in the Jews in a bit more detail, but that, that happened. Now, Abu Sufyan, uh, who was not a Muslim at the time, right? He's, a, he's one of the leaders of the Quraysh, an enemy of Islam at the time, came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Muhammad, you know, 
you are always talking about being nice with your family and with being uh, with, with obe obeying Allah and being nice to the poor and all of the rest of it. Look, your people, because remember, these are his people. The, the, this is the Quraysh, right? This is the same tribe. They're, they're, they're devastated. They're dying. So make dua for them. Now, it's amazing. You see, Abu Sufyan, I think he had goodness in him. That's why he became Muslim afterwards. All the other ones did not become Muslim. Now, this also indicates that he had some goodness. He says, make dua for us. Just like the people of Pharaoh told Musa salam to make dua for them when they had all of their turbulence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So the Prophet made dua for them. Uh, it went away, but they still remained on their kufr even after having promised them. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in these verses, so now wait for the day that will come when the, when the heavens will produce this smoke. It will be a very clear smoke, right? It will essentially overcome everybody and it, this is a punishment for you right uh, and then they're going to say oh our lord remove this punishment from us because we are believers now but where are they going to find a, a reminder uh, whereas you know the clear messenger has come to them with a clear message as well and they still turned away and they said that he's majnun, he's just somebody who's been taught and who's who's insane Right. Okay, that's fine. Allah says we will remove this punishment for a little while, but then you're gonna go back and do the same thing, and then kubra inna Right. The day of the the severe seizing. Right. The day when you're gonna be severely seized. That is the day when we're gonna take revenge, and that's exactly what happened on the day of Badr. So that is what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was referring to. All of this was said at a time when they could never have imagined this. Number three, the third example I already gave you yesterday, I'm not going to repeat it, it's about the Romans, right? Now, um, when the Romans were defeated, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alif la mim rum fi adna al-ardi wa hum min ba'di ghalabihim sayaghribun fi bid'i sinim. In just a few years, they will re-win uh, re, uh, and they will be the victors afterwards. Because lillahi al-amru min qablu wa min ba'd wa yawma idhin yafrahu al-mu'minuna binasrillahi yansuru man yasha. That is also the day Right, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala possesses everything from before and from after him, uh, from after that event, before the event. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, has everything. On that day, the believers will be very excited by the assistance of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and Allah assists whoever He wants. So now there were two things that happened. When uh, there were two things that happened. Number one, the Romans they defeated the Persians later on. Right, this happened in just a few years, in seven years. Right? In seven years, you can read about this. And the second thing that happened is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave victory to the Muslims as well in Badr, which was a massive victory. Okay, now the second aspect of this is to provide, uh, to, to provide news of present-day aspects. Now, what do you mean by present-day aspects? Well, people would have known that. Yeah, this is where the non-Muslims would, uh, would conspire they would have secret meetings about the Muslimin and the Munafikin would do that as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal this. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal this. That's why Surah At-Tawbah does a lot of this. It talks about the meetings they were having, the pl plots they were making, the plans that they were you know, forming. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then just essentially disgraces them, them, them the next day because there's a verse out. Right, and it's revealed what 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 it's you know what they said. So that's why this surah is all called also called Surah Al-Tawbah is also called Surah Al-Fadiha, the one that disgraces. Right. So one of the examples is that the Mushrikeen they decided that you know when the 
generally they would have a little truce. They would give a bit of amnesty to the Muslims when they had to pray or something like that. So what we're going to do is that when they go to pray, we're going to say, you can pray. And you know, we'll just seize the battle for a while or we won't attack you. And then what we'll do is we'll just attack them then so we can finish them off. So they were, you know, they were going to go against their words. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that, revealed that in, the, in the Quran. وَدَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَوْ تَغْفُلُونَ عَنْ أَسْلِحَتِكُمْ وَأَمْتِعَتِكُمْ فَيَمِينُونَ عَلَيْكُمْ مَيْلَةً وَاحِدًا These people who disbelieve, they would love that you uh, become uh, distracted from your weapons so then they can just attack you one time. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also had the whole salat of fear during the time of fear established where, you know, one group prays half the prayer or one rakat with the imam and then the other group prays which I'm not going to go into detail, but you can, you can read about that in Surah An-Nisa, right? Um, verses 102, if you want to. Thereafter that, there was another occasion where the Munafiqeen, along with the Jews, they decided that we're going to build a masjid, right? Clo I think it was close to Masjid, al uh, masjid Quba. And we're going to use that. That's going to be like this outpost. It's going to be this out, uh, what do you call this? It's going to be an outfit uh, in which we're going to have our spies and everything and we're going to destroy the faith from in between. So it's going to look like a masjid, but we're going to corrupt people with it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he reveals this in the Quran. In uh, 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 Allah Those who have adopted a masjid of harm and of kufr and of separation between the believers and they are waiting in anticipation for the one who has uh, fought against, declared war against Allah and His Messenger from before, and they swear that they, to the other believers, they actually just swear that no, we have just good intent. Right? How many times have you seen something like that? Whereas Allah bears witness that they are liars. Don't even stand. Don't ever stand in their masjid. Don't ever stand in it. In fact, the masjid which has been built on taqwa from the first day is more rightful that you stand in, which was Masjid Quba, right? Because in there are, are men who love to be very, very pure. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who are pure. This was a plot. Nobody knew about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals it. Thereafter that, the third point is about the past. And there's lots of that. We will, take, uh, we will have another lesson on that subject about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discussing past events. So I don't need to discuss it today. And the last point for today, I know I've gone over time, but I want to finish it today so we can move on. We've been on this discussion for three days. The last point of how the Quran is a mu'jiza is just what it came up with. Now, I'm going to summarize this for you and make it very, very sim simple. When you study the status of the Meccans and the people in Medina, they had no civilization. They were very, very backwards. The whole time is characterized as ignorant. They had no system in place. They just had a really wild tribal system in place. Not a system that you could apply anywhere else in the world. If you applied their common laws at that time to anywhere, it would not work. Now imagine, right, that you've got a little a place like, um, what's that place called in South Africa? 
right? It's like this small country, like separate country. It's called Lesotho. Imagine you start now, Lesotho is just this place, it's a tribal place, they're just getting along and whatever. Let's just imagine that you suddenly start hearing that, you know, Lesotho, there's some amazing stuff going on down there and they're propounding these wisdoms and these political systems and this, uh, you know, social systems and everything. And, uh, you know, you can apply this and people are, you know, benefiting from this and everything. You would be absolutely shocked and surprised. Right now, the Meccans were worse than the people. Lesotho, they're probably some really decent people down there. But what I'm saying is that these people were wild, killing one another. Nobody wanted to, you know, colonize them, work with them, or whatever. Right? But suddenly, in a few years, with the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promulgates these laws. If you look at the political laws mentioned in the Quran, the laws of uh, communication, of uh, uh, the, 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 the principles of how states should be run as mentioned in the quran the the parameters the the uh, you can check this book called um, islam and uh, politics i think it's called by mufti taki uthmani it's on white thread you'll find it there as well it's published by torah within a short amount of time just 23 years only not 100 years you see dynasties systems take time to develop you don't do that in 23 years there's one man who'd not studied anything he's a ummi he's unlettered he's not studied from anybody he sets this whole system up. This can't come from a human being. This has to come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the power of the Quran. That this is the book that in 23 years gave so many laws. A legal system, a political system, a social system, a spiritual system. And a system in every sense that was necessary in just 23 years. Uh, Abu Zahra has written about this. Uh, the Sheikh of Egypt, uh, uh, um, a great Sheikh from Egypt, he, he's written about this in many places. How the Quran, you know, promulgates these laws and everything like that. We don't have the time to get into that, but um, Subhanallah, how much more am I going to tell you, right? How much more am I going to tell you about this? But the Quran is what does all of this, Mashallah. So I think let us stop here, and. Uh, uh, just the final point I would say that when it came down over 23 years, if it, it was something that the Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam had done for him by himself, you know, just by yourself, the, the uh, brain experts today, people who do studies on the brain, they say that every 10 years you're a different person, because our brains, based on experiences that we have, based on the way we grow, based on experiences that we have and things that happen to us, we, I know I'm different from how I was 10 years ago. What I say now is very different from if you listen to my earlier lectures, for example, right? I think we've probably got about 10 years of lectures on our website, right? At least you can tell the difference, you know, aside from the way you probably look, but, you know, the, the way and what you say, the kind of topics you, the way you approach a topic and everything like that. The Prophet Sallallahu is 23 years he's preaching from the beginning to the end. But you don't see that any kind of development in the Quran that, okay, this is a bit weak and now this is stronger or this is where he was a bit immature and this is now his maturity has gone. This is a bit uh, basic and simplistic and now this is more advanced. No, the whole Quran, 23 years, right, put together all makes sense at the same level. Every single verse of it makes the same level, right? And that's the most amazing part of this. Humans, if it was from the Prophet ﷺ himself, it would have had many discrepancies. It would have had so much differences, right? It would have been weak in some places or that in some places or whatever. Like from a human being, for example. This is from Allah. The Prophet ﷺ was the best of human beings. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and it cannot be from a human being. That's why it's just so perfect. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you cannot find in there, right, anything which, uh, yeah, anything which is discrepance. There's a discrepancy. Allahu nazzala ahsan al hadithi kitaban mutashabiha mathani takshairu minhu juludu alladhini yakshawun rabbu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided the best of speech. He's revealed the best of speech. This is the book which is similar to one another. It equates to one another, right? It resembles one another. It's absolutely balanced throughout. Mathani, off repeated. And it is, the, uh, it is that which the people, their skin soften out from. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then carries on. And this is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really allows us to appreciate. I hope that this is going somewhere in making us appreciate the Quran. I have my appreciation for the Quran has grown even more than when I started 25 days ago, right? Even though I'd done quite a bit of study before, but after this, because I'd had to uh, do a quite a bit of study, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and allow us to always live with the Quran and to be blessed with the Quran in this world and in the hereafter, allow us to ascend with the Quran, make us real students and teachers of the Quran. Allah bless you all. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.